invite you to turn to one another and to share. It's a twist. I usually ask for your favorite Thanksgiving dish. Your least favorite Thanksgiving dish. Turn to one another real quick. Least favorite, overrated, whatever it might be. Your least favorite or overrated Thanksgiving dish. All righty. All righty. Uh, how many of you have no least favorite Thanksgiving dish? You just like it all. You just like it. We should be honest. We're in church. You like every part, every part, including cranberry sauce. Who said cranberry sauce? All right. Anybody say turkey? Turkey. Anybody say mashed potatoes? Oh, I knew I'm in the right church. Anybody say pie? They think pie is overrated. You don't like pie? Oh, no. Uh, gravy. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for Thursday. And uh, it's the one time of the year that I actually um, really enjoy turkey. It's not that I don't always like turkey, but... It's the one time of the year that I, I like it. Uh, I spent some time this last Thursday uh, with a couple pastors, actually more than a couple pastors, about 25 of us, down in Orange County, and we were uh, with an organization called Barna looking at some of the statistics of the church, some of the realities of where the church finds itself today. Barna does research throughout the country, um, kind of looking at... Uh, just where the church stands, they, they, they every couple of years put out something called the state of the church, and they put out something called the state of the pastors, and they put out something called the state of mission, and they just kind of look at the church world and say, what's, what's working, what's not working, why, how, when, and it was, it was a good time, and uh, one of the speakers who, who stood up and, and spoke, she, she's a pastor, she's a pastor in Detroit, Michigan, and she told a story from something that happens in her household, and it I found myself laughing because it's something that happens in my household, and if you've ever had young children in your house or been around young children, my guess is you have had something similar happen in your household. She told a story of, of a Saturday morning after a long week, and she said, hey, I want to do something fun with the kids. I want to do something fun for the kids, and so she went to the donut shop. She went to the donut shop, and she got a donut for her kids. She had two kids, two daughters. And she got a donut for each of them. And like any good pastor, she said, oh, this is a great opportunity for a lesson with my children. And, and she, she got out a donut and she said to her four-year-old, hey, can I have a bite? And what do you think the four-year-old said? No. no, this is mine. She asked again, hey, can, can, can I have a bite? No. This is mine, she asked a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. The answer was the same. And then on the fifth time, the donut, the, 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 the four-year-old, she took one sprinkle off the donut. And she said, here you go, Mom. Here you go, Mom. 
And, and this pastor, she said, she looked to her daughter, her four-year-old daughter, and she said, well, well thank you, but what am I supposed to do with this? What, what am I supposed to do with this crumb? It wasn't even enough for her to taste. We have spent the last six weeks here at WPC talking about building a culture of generosity. And it's an important thing that we need to do both here in our church, but also in our homes. Faith started the series with reminding us that we follow a God of abundance. And because we follow a God of abundance, we have been given much more than just a few crumbs. And then over the last few weeks, we've learned that God invites us to share what we have been given, our our time, our talent, our treasure, even if we think it's just a few sprinkles, even if we think it's just a few crumbs, that God invites us to be generous with what we have been given. And we're generous. We say, God, thank you. Now use this for your kingdom. One of the most tangible ways that we can invite people to follow Jesus on this journey that we talk about all the time here at WPC, this journey of faith, friendship, and service is through our generosity. It's why we partner every month with organizations like Harbor House where we we pack lunches. It's why we're partnering with them for, for Christmas with the Giving Tree where after church you can go and pick up an ornament, buy a board game to, to help a family this Christmas. And it's why we spend so much time talking about why it's important with how we welcome people, how we welcome our neighbors when they arrive on our campus. Our New Testament passage this morning comes from the end of a conversation that Jesus had with some Pharisees and with some some lawyers. And it was the sort of conversation that hopefully you don't have at Thanksgiving dinner this Thursday night. Jesus, he's at this prominent leader's house, presumably with a a group of leaders that were were just uh, on the same social status that that Jesus was. And he looks across the table and he sees a a suffering man, whether that suffering man was a a servant in the house, whether that suffering man was was just outside the house. Jesus sees the suffering servant and and he looks to the lawyers. He looks to the experts in the religious law and he says, hey, y'all, is it sinful to heal on the Sabbath? Check the religious conversation. Luke tells us that the table's quiet, as if, as if they knew that Jesus was about to do something or about to say something. Then he asks, Well, if you had an ox or a child that fell into the well on a Sabbath, would you pull out that child? Would you pull out that ox? Check. Conversation about work, conversation about economics, conversation about money. Just what you want to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Religion, money. Well, it gets better, maybe. What else don't you want to talk about at Thanksgiving? Politics. Politics. He tells a parable about a wedding feast. Tells a parable about a wedding feast and the choice between assuming a place of power or choosing to take the lesser seat. The one with less influence. It's a political conversation. When we get to the end of the dinner in Luke 14, verse 15, the tension around the table was palatable. The Pharisees and lawyers who were there, they had been rebuked. 
Jesus had, had stirred the pot. And another one of the guests, he kind of senses, oh, there's something off. Something, something off. So I'm going to try to bring us back. I'm, I'm going to try to bring us back. And he, he, he asks a question or makes a statement that would have assumed, hey, at least I know we might disagree with religion. I know we might disagree with, with finances. I mean, I know we might disagree with politics. But, but at least when it comes to the resurrection, we're, we're all good Jewish people here. When it comes to the resurrection, we can agree on that, right? He says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's what the, the guest at the table says. And Jesus replies, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the street and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus responds to the attempt from this, this one guest to bring everybody together around something that they could agree with, the resurrection with a parable about the future that had practical implications for the present. When I was 19 years old, my cousin uh, and I and, and two of our friends, we took a dream trip to Costa Rica. I just finished my first year of college. Uh, it was, I, I, I grew up surfing. It was one of those trips that we had been planning for, for three or four years. And then once I was 18, I told my parents, hey, we're going. And so we got on a plane, we flew to the capital city, we rented a, a small SUV, we piled eight surfboards on top of that small SUV, and then we drove to Tamarindo, which is in the north, northern end of the Pacific coast of the country. The plan was to start there and to work our way south, stopping and surfing whenever we found good surf, just, just kind of having fun along the way. We didn't know where we were going to stay. We didn't know how long we were going to stay in a particular place. It was just an adventure. And we knew that we wanted to end up in a place that was called Pavonis, which is the second longest left break in the world. And this was all before GPS. This was all before smartphones. So we spent a lot of time on dirt roads, spent a lot of time driving in places we shouldn't have been, uh, pulling over in remote towns and through broken Spanish asking for directions. After a week and a half or so, we pulled into our, our final destination, this, this place called Pavonis. And when we stepped out of the car, it was like we were stepping into the movie Endless Summer. Anybody seen Endless Summer? It's a fantastic movie. 
The sun was going down. I could hear the soundtrack in my head. It was just light enough to see surfer after surfer connect their waves and ride them for hundreds of yards. No kidding. You would ride a wave and you would get out at the cove and have to walk back to the point because it was such a long, your, your legs were burning by the end of every wave. And like at each of our previous stops, we didn't have a plan. We didn't know where we were going to stay. A surfer who just got out of the water at dusk saw us and saw us standing there kind of looking around and he looked to my cousin and he saw the hat that my cousin was wearing. My hat was wearing, or my cousin was wearing a hat with a, a logo for a surf shop called the Claremont Surf Shop in San Diego. And he looks at it and he says, do you know the O'Connell family? Totally out of place. My, my cousin said, yeah, I, I grew up next to them. Danny O'Connell and my cousin, they were good friends. The, the owner's family was good friends with my cousin. And we explained our situation. We said, we have no idea where we're going to stay, where we're going to go. And he said, hold on a minute. He said, hold on a minute. He disappeared for a few minutes, and then he came back with a man named Jose. The man named Jose. Jose invited us to camp in his yard right across the road, right across the road from where we were surfing. And it turned into not just camping in his yard. We, we pulled up, and his son, the, the one who's sitting on his lap there, um, was mowing this huge tall grass, like taller than me, with a, a push lawnmower to clear a space for us to camp in his, in his front yard. And, and we camped there, but that turned into an invitation into his one-room house. That turned into an invitation for dinner each and every night. That turned into a, an invitation to, to see this man's work. He's a third or fourth generation fisherman who got up early in the morning and worked hard. And then he would get home and he would show us around town, take us to places to pick mangoes and to see all of the things that he grew up with. We were complete strangers. To, the truest sense, complete strangers. And his family treated us like we had been longtime friends. The, the parable that Jesus shares around the table of the Pharisee that day, it, it's been given all kinds of names. It's the parable of the replacement guests, the parable of the disobedient guests, the parable of the angry host, the parable of the great banquet. But I like to think of this parable as the parable of an unexpected invitation. When the four of us arrived to that, that wave that we had been searching for for so long, that evening, Jose and his family, they had no reason to welcome us the way that they did. It was completely unexpected. When Jesus shared his parable in Luke 15, it couldn't have been what those who were gathered around the table expected to hear either. When the dinner guest speaks up in verse 15, the one who says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, he was probably expecting Jesus to say, amen, you got it. That's right. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not how Jesus answers. Everyone there, they would have pictured a feast or pictured a party like the one that's described in Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, it, it, it tells of this this feast where the choice wine is brought out and the best food is it's the best Thanksgiving meal that you can think of. And after, after the people's enemies had been defeated, they were going to have this massive, massive celebration. That's 
the feast, that's the party, that's the, the dinner that they were envisioning in their head when this guest makes his comment. Jesus, he doesn't disregard that image, nor does he tell the person who speaks up, which I think would have been interesting, you're wrong, right? He doesn't say, oh, you're so wrong and make him feel bad. Instead, he tells a parable, a parable that reminds him and reminds everybody who is gathered around that table the table that they pictured for the, the feast at the end times was much, much too small. The generosity of the host was beyond what they could fathom to the point that they would have been offended by who was, made, who was on the guest list. Now, I'm guessing that most of us can, can think of a time we showed up to a place or a party and we didn't quite feel like we belong. Anybody been there? Yeah, let me explain. Let me let me lay out a couple situations, and you can raise your hand. Uh, uh, you showed up at a place, and you were overdressed, underdressed, where you didn't know anyone, where you didn't know the language or jargon that was being spoken. Maybe that was church. <laughs> Maybe that was church. I'm guessing we remember what it was like to show up and to not feel like we, we fit in. Whenever I read this parable, I can't help but thinking about a time when I did middle school ministry years ago. And one of the things I'm being reminded of with my daughter who's in middle school is um, they're straight to the point. They're, they're straight, straight to the point. Uh, a few of the girls uh, were, were there at this middle school gathering, and they were excited to be there, and a new boy walked in, and these girls all ran over to this new boy. And they said, what are you doing here? And not in a good way. Not, not in a good way at all. They were shocked to see this boy at church. And instead of welcoming in, him in, and saying, we're glad you're here. They, they turned him away. They made him feel like he didn't belong. Now, we might not be quite as direct. But we have to be careful that we don't do the same thing. One of the reasons Jesus told this parable was uh, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they had this, this habit of making people feel like they didn't belong. Of pointing out the ways that others did not belong making sure that they knew, the outsiders knew, that they knew their place in the social structure. They went out of their way to point fingers and out of their way to say, you don't know our traditions, you don't know our customs, you don't know the right language, you don't know the traditions, the stories. They went out of their way to make that happen. And when Jesus tells this parable, he's saying, hey, you know all those people? That's who the host is inviting. If we want to be an inviting church, if we want to be a generous church, we can't do the same thing that was being done. As the servants head out to tell everyone that it's time to come to the party, that it's time to come to the festival, it's like a Thanksgiving gathering where the host walks around saying, okay, the turkey's ready, the sides are on, it's time to eat. And having everybody at your Thanksgiving dinner just sitting there and not moving. Sitting there watching football. So you're trying to say, hey, it's time to eat. It's ready. 
So many of you know that I, I love cooking, uh, especially outside on the grill or on a smoker. And a little over a month ago, uh, I was invited to cook for a wedding of just under 100 people. It was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. But there was a moment that was incredibly stressful. Can you guess when that moment was? Right before we plated the food. Right before we brought the, the, the food out. It would have been a huge bummer if the food was cold because it was ready an hour ahead of time. Uh, and it also would have been a huge bummer if food wasn't cooked well enough. It's my biggest fear. Or if people were standing around waiting for it to be ready. It went from a calm day of preparation and for about an hour was incredibly stressful. All of a sudden, it went to an urgent, I got to get this ready. It's got to be ready. The first group that's invited to that banquet in the parable, they, they lack a sense of urgency. They just keep kind of going through the motions. And the motions that they're going through, they're not necessarily bad things. They're, they're tending to everyday matters in life, right? Taking care of their ox. Taking care of their animals. They're, they're tending to their land. One of them had just gotten married. They're investing in, in relationships. Not bad things at all. But they're lulled to sleep by the routine of everyday life. There's an important lesson for us here. In an increasingly busy world, we need to stay alert, noticing who crosses our paths or where God might be nudging us. At the very end of the parable, we see just how persistent the host can be with his generosity. He tells the servant to go beyond the streets of the immediate town, out into the countryside. He says, There's still room. He says, there's still room. There's still room. Don't stop until my house is full. What a beautiful image. What, a, what an incredible image. And what a great reminder of God's ongoing pursuit of you and me, of our neighbors and of the entire world. It's also a great reminder that we need to go the extra mile ourselves. Who can you invite to journey with you, to, to walk with you? Whether that's extending an invitation to come to church, whether that's picking up the phone and calling someone and saying, hey, I'd love to get coffee sometime. Whether that's saying, hey, I, I know you might be alone on Thanksgiving. Why don't you come and have, have dinner with us? Who can you invite? Who can you invite to journey with you? Maybe it's a second or third, or fourth invitation. Or maybe it's someone who you never thought would actually say yes. The host in Jesus' parable reminds us to be persistent, to extend the invitation anyway. So we need to do that. In Matthew 25, Jesus reminds his followers that whatever they do for his, for, for his brothers and sisters, they also do for him. At the core of that message is the message of following Jesus' lead, doing as Jesus said. To be generous like the host of the feast. To pay attention to our surroundings with a sense of urgency. 
and to be persistent in how we show hospitality. Let's pray. Gracious God, we long to be a generous people, to share what we have so that others might experience your love, that others might experience your grace. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.